this ties into this issue of doing drugs in the U.S. and the very administration who made it less likely that these people could seek treatment and proper medication by defunding these social programs would also be, you know, cri- would be responsible for criminalizing those who attempted to self-medicate. Oh, hello, it's me, Chance, and thanks for listening to us discuss how Ronald Reagan essentially swindled the middle class into propping him up as a golden idol. Speaking of scams, next week we're going to be talking to Roberta Blevins, who is one of the primary contributors to the Amazon original docuseries, Lula Rich, which explores the sleazy and predatory nature of pyramid schemes, a.k.a. multi-level marketing, a.k.a. MLMs. She was also in a Vice piece called Why Women Are Quitting Their Side Hustle, Leaving Lula Row. Blevins also hosts her own weekly podcast, Life After MLM, where she interviews people who tell their stories about being taken advantage of by various MLMs, as well as experts on this topic. Let us know what questions and comments you have for Roberta. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and listen to us at iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, and now on Spotify. If you want to show your appreciation for what we do, all that we ask is that you do so by rating and reviewing us on iTunes and Spotify. Finally, check us out at punk-journalism.com. Ronald Reagan. So most of my adult life, like when I think about conservatives talking about who they admire most as a president and who they they kind of hearken back to reagan is always the one that they hold up as the gold standard and how we need another reagan and there's not been a better president since then and that may be different since trump that's a whole nother conversation if like people now prefer trump over reagan i would kind of think that they do uh, but what I find ironic about people's love of Reagan and what I'm interested in discussing is that so much of his policies and so much for what he's responsible for consequently caused so many things within our society that now conservatives hate dealing with, like the homeless population and 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 drug use and that sort of thing. So what he did in the 80s was essentially he put a Band-Aid on a lot of festering wounds that have now just manifested themselves into into a big infection and it's kind of swept really important things under the rug. So, like, the biggest points that I wanted to bring up per- with me personally, and I know you guys have different ones, and that's awesome because you thought of things that I didn't think about, but, like, these are all episodes that, or these are all topics that I'm going to basically summarize, but are deserving of their own episode if we ever did get to that. So number one, I think is the biggest is the war on drugs and privatizing the fed, uh, especially privatizing the uh, prison system. And, you know, most of these things, they all kind of play into each other when you, when you kind of stop and examine it, uh, trickle down economics or laissez faire economics, uh, doing away yep. with, social programs for mental illness. So those are those are kind of the big ones for me. What about you guys? My big one was his uh his administration actually did away with something called the uh the fairness the FCC fairness doctrine. Okay. In my eyes this is kind of related to everything, right? So okay. like um the FCC fairness doctrine federal communications uh, this is from Wikipedia. Uh we can get the sources from Wikipedia here in a second. Uh, was introduced in 1949, and it was a policy that, you know, when put simply, required holders of broadcast licenses, and 
that can be defined how you want. But at the time, it was written for radio because they didn't have a lot of uh, TV mm. in the 40, in 49. Um, but it required for holders of broadcast licenses to present controversial issues of public importance and to do so in a manner that was and balanced. I'm sorry, what? Right? And balanced? You cut out. Honest, equitable, and balanced. Right. Right? So, like, you know, uh, how Fox News is always saying fair and balanced. Right. This would require that you actually have both sides of the argument represented um, and that you are giving them equal time and um, that it's a balanced thing, right? And his, uh, his administration did away with that in uh, 87. Okay. His FCC and, did. And why do you think that is? And why do I think that is? Yeah. I, mean, I think that's pretty simple. Uh, that went away because um, it makes it easier for people to say whatever they want to when they're being interviewed. Or yeah. Because you can really argue easily that a controversial issue is almost anything any presidential candidate is talking about. Right. Right, unless we're talking about I really enjoyed my oatmeal this morning or something like that. Um, and that would require that they had people on to say, no, that's not actually how that works, Jack. Uh, this I'm, um, I won the Nobel Prize for, I don't know, uh, oatmeal tasting. And your oatmeal actually wasn't that good because you put cinnamon, you put honey, and you put, I don't know, root beer in it. So essentially, you know what I mean? Yeah. So essentially, you have to have somebody there to defend themselves if you're going to make claims against them or about them. Exactly. And what you're saying has to be uh, it has to be presented in a fair, balanced, and equitable manner. Yeah. Um, which I think uh, Snopes will tell you that that it did not um, lead to Fox News, right? Yeah. And I agree, it didn't lead to Fox News because Fox uh, they did away with it. Um, and it, it, it didn't ever, it didn't ever co cover television, but hey. it definitely led to things like Rush Limbaugh, who you could argue led to Fox news, who essentially uh, it can just, a, it, so, it added, it, it let a lot of talk radio shit happen. Okay. So, so yeah, yeah, I see it as leading to all of the fake news that's going on. And I mean, I guess like when I said, why you don't have to have both sides of this argument represented, there's no other side, right? You can go on Neil Cavuto or whatever and just talk shit and not worrying about having to get hit. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. When you, you look at a direct result of that with Alex Jones and the pizza gate thing. Yeah. Uh, not only that, but, but the shooting at the school, I don't know why I'm blanking on the name right now. Uh, Sandy Hook. Yeah, Sandy Hook. At Sandy Hook. And he riled people up to actually go to those parents' house and tell them that their child didn't really die or that they didn't really have they a child. And that it was just an all-actor stuff. Right. Like, can you imagine after losing your child, somebody coming and yelling in your face that you're just like somebody paid you off and that you just had a child actor. Like I, I, I don't even know what I would do in that yeah, situation. Right. I was just going to say, just to elaborate, you were asking what are the, the first things that jump out when we think of Reagan and scandals. And the first one that popped out to me, it, it always pops out to me is, uh, 
you know, the Iran Contra scandal yeah. where they were, you know, funding, uh, you know, selling weapons to Iran and then, and then simultaneously encouraging Saddam Hussein to, to attack Iran while they were selling weapons to them and then taking that money and turning around and funneling it into another group to overthrow the Nicaraguan government. Like it, it just, it, like they were allowing drugs into the United States so that they could fund a, a, a war somewhere else. It was just a crazy, crazy thing that I, I don't understand how like that alone can't just make you look at, at Reagan's presidency and go, wow, that guy was like not a very good dude at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And why do you think that they did that just to profiteer on, on, uh, the well, they did it because they wanted to over they wanted to overthrow socialist and communist regimes. They wanted to spread capitalism and you know America and freedom. Mm-hmm. America, freedom. Yeah. Well, I, that's actually you know that's another and, thing. And, and then, and then also, I'm sorry that it's all you know that the the main goal of overthrowing a socialist and communist government is to implement a capitalistic government that allows them to come in and do business and rape their resources because that's exactly what we've always done. Yeah. Well, and it's kind of, it's interesting that you bring up, you know, the Iran Contra because when I look into all the, you know, Reagan is known for tax breaks and cut federal spending everywhere, but in the military or, you know, defense is what they call it. And that almost, Mm -hmm. that seems a little bit coincidental that that would happen you know, trying to increase our military presence while at the same time increasing military spending and and putting so much more money towards defense and the military industrial complex, which is never stopped. Right. Like, yeah. Since we're still since doing that it. happened. It's never stopped, yeah. know, which is kind of scary. It's, uh, you know, we spend more than the next, what is it, the next five nations combined? It's I think I believe it's the next 10. Oh, yeah. Something like that. So, I mean, it's it's a sign of conservatism how much money you're willing to spend on uh <laughs> on death yeah right yeah well in order to not spend on preventing death you know if you're talking about money spent yeah. at home uh the the it is um the united states spends more than the next 11 countries combined <laughs> we both undershot it <laughs> yeah where'd you find that that is Peter G. Peterson Foundation dot org. Uh, that was posted July nineteenth, twenty twenty one. All right. So I think it's interesting. There, there are like three main things that I want to look at as far as his policies. That I, I feel like one plays into the other and plays into the other, and they all kind of reinforce and prop up one another. And as far as like being conspiratorial is concerned, like I think that it's it's really interesting the conspiracy theorists won't recognize this and they turn a blind eye to it. They have to come up with conspiracy theories and connect dots with, with conspiracies that take like a hundred variables or more to, to work. But you know, many people will make the argument that they don't want their tax dollars funding social programs at all. And that includes people with mental health problems who resort to self-medicating and doing drugs, drinking, and that really, mm-hmm. that I think really speaks to the demographic of Americans who are real, who are very privileged, who would support somebody like Trump or Reagan and are essentially saying, well, you know, I don't need any of that support in my life. So nobody else should either. 
And then they right. don't they don't see that their tax dollars are still being spent. They're just going to a prison system, which in most cases doesn't reform inmates, just hardens them and makes them better criminals. And not only that, but it goes to a private prison system. And you know what? I, like I was saying, it's funny that conspiracy theorists won't connect these dots. You know that we criminalize drug use and then send them to private prisons because of that drug use, where the prison guard unions have lobbied against legalized marijuana because that affects their jobs. Um, well, well, at the same time, while all that's going on, you're helping move drugs into the United States. Yeah, yeah, because when you make something, you create a, an illegal market for something that just opens up a black market for it, and it's you know that's that's why drug cartels can function. So I, the three areas that I want to focus on for me personally that I think that you can really see how they all kind of prop each other up and they're, one is dependent on the other is the war on drugs, the uh, pulling funding for social programs for people with mental health issues, and trickle-down economics and, or laissez-faire economics. So the war on drugs and that the slogan that, that – went along with that was, quote, just say no, end quote. That slogan alone shows how out of touch he and his base were with the urban, lower working class portion of Americans. Just, I mean, just to simply say, just say no, just, it's a lot, you know, they, they boil it down to something so simple like that. So much about the war on drugs is an example of this and fails to take into account all the things that push desperate people into a life of crime. It also pushed the mentally ill into self-medicating when there are little to no resources available to them. You know, so simply locking people up who use or sell drugs in no way addresses the greater problem of why are people using and selling drugs in the first place? Why are they resorting to this? Why are people self-medicating? What, you know, it, it's, 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 it's not just a superficial issue of these are criminals who are doing bad things, so we just need to put them away. Like I said, it's just it's something that they resort to because they feel like there's little else in their lives. And are you guys familiar with how Portugal has has handled drugs in their country? Yeah, they decriminalized everything. Didn't yeah, they? in two thousand one. So I want to read just a bit from this article that kind of breaks it down. Um, Where's the article from? Time. The article is called Want to Win the War on Drugs? Portugal Might Have the Answer. It's by Nena Bahekel from 2018. And she says, in 2017, Fonseca spent three months embedded with one of Lisbon's drug outreach teams. He was interested in seeing and photographing the kind of help people are getting in Portugal now that drug usage isn't a political priority. Quote, America and Portugal are very different countries, end quote. Fonseca says, pointing out that what has worked in his home country may not translate to the United States. But at the same time, he says that there are lessons to be learned from the approach of treating drug addiction as a medical issue rather than a criminal problem. And that's huge. That's that's mm -hmm. I think the where, you know, it really needs to be distinguished. He goes on since 2001. The Crescar outreach team has walked the same route on an abandoned construction project in a Lisbon suburb. They provided heroin and cocaine addicts with what they need for safer consumption, clean needles, tinfoil, and psychological support. And each year, they help about 1,600 users. Quote, if we didn't reach out to them or go to the places where they're using, nobody would know they exist. 
end quote. Joanna Frias, a 26-year-old nurse at, working as part of the task force for the Portuguese harm reduction policy, told Fonseca, quote, we don't judge them in any way. If they want to, in their own time, we can help them stop using. Under the 2001 law, drug dealers still go to prison, but anyone caught then le with less than a 10-day supply of any drug, including marijuana and heroin, is typically sent to a local commission consisting of a doctor, lawyer, and a social worker, where they learn about treatment and available medical services. And in Portugal, no distinction is made between hard or soft drugs, or whether consumption happens in a private or public space. What matters is whether the relationships to drugs is healthy or not. So in a nutshell, basically what they're doing is they're saying, hey, we recognize that people are using drugs not just because they're trying to be deviants or harmful to society, but because there's a, a bigger underlying issue in their life. Like, so we're going to offer them counseling and we're going to say, you know, what led you to this place? And, you know, uh, any anyway, like what made you resort to this? And in the meantime, since these people are addicts, they offer, you know, doses of their drug to to get them off of it. And, you know, instead of just cutting them off cold turkey. So drug use and crime has just tanked in Portugal because of this. Like, it's almost non-existent because they've taken the money that they would have been putting into the prison system from housing these people and instead put it into these social programs. So that's why I said it's kind of ironic that people are complaining about paying for social programs, but they're okay with paying for these people to just get warehoused and locked up. And not addressing the issue, not figuring out why this is a problem in the first place. Instead, they just, you know, subscribe to the old adage of just say no to drugs, you know. So, I mean, boy, you know what this reminds me of a lot is abstinence. Yeah, totally. But for drugs. Just say no to drugs and just say no to sex is, I mean, very close. And the dopamine amounts that it re they release, I'm betting. I just... <laughs> and yeah, I, I love sex here in Colorado. We do, um, what's that program we have where we provide free condoms we and free birth control to kids, uh, to high school age kids that doesn't and exist, college age it? kids. Does that exist? And it's reduced the number of abortions that we have. I didn't know they were actually doing that. I think that's great. Yeah, they do. Okay. Uh, let me look it up real fast, but yeah, um, it's our, our number of abortions have fallen significantly because you know we're giving the kids the tools that they need to prevent pregnancy because kids are going to have sex yeah just to be honest high schoolers going to have sex college students going to have sex yep that's what they do yeah right you study yeah they're going to do it whether you and then you got to have a tension release mm -hmm. yeah yeah i mean they're going <laughs> to we i bet you we can all speak to that too like they're going to have sex whether you tell them they can't or not, or you guilt them into not doing it, or you say that you should wait till marriage because that's what God wants. Like, if they want to have sex, they're going to have sex. So no amount of you guilting them or shaming them is going to stop that. In fact, it may make it just make them more, even more motivated to do it. And, you know, I had, I lost my virginity when I was 17. And the only reason I did it at 17 is because I couldn't find anybody who would do it with me sooner. So, yeah, I mean... Yeah, it's yeah. I mean, what's that guy? Um, the Republican dude, Mark. Um, 
Oh shit, he's under investigation. Yeah, no, that's the for sexual assault or trafficking. Yeah, yeah, he didn't he didn't have a high school girlfriend until he was like thirty eight. So, <laughs> yeah, and he probably <laughs> sorry, that's fucked up. <laughs> good for you. That was good. For you. Good for you, man. <laughs> oh man. <coughs> uh, you and you had said you know telling a teenager not to have sex is going to make them want to have sex more. And that's exactly what happened with the war on drugs. We told people that they couldn't have drugs and that we were going to crack down and we were going to make it, you know, illegal to have drugs and to use drugs and do all of this other stuff. And what did it do? It increased drug usage in the United States. Yeah, all they really did. Well, two things. First off, I found a, I found a resource for that article. The Denverite has an article from 2017 written by Andrew Kenny that says that. Um, the birth rate for women between ages 15 and 19 has fallen by more than half since 20, since 2009. Uh, and the rate of a teen abortions has fallen even faster. Uh, and that's the one that's uh, referring to what we did. They have been providing family planning and, con- and contraception uh, to their, uh, to those students uh, as well as IUDs, uh, LARCs, which are long acting, Reversible contraceptives. I didn't even know about those. Reverse, we can prevent pregnancies for 10 years. Oh, that's cool. A lot easier than a pill. But anyway, um, yeah, so that's what we did. Back to what my article was. Sorry. No, that's right. Yeah, uh, placing a taboo on something never works. In fact, like we've, we've talked, we, you know, we talked about drinking and how that just when you put a stigma on something, you make it seem dangerous. It's more appealing and it's more sexy. And, and that's why you are, are drawn to it, you know? So yeah. Um, I would like to see something like Portugal. I mean, because it, it, it really just is common sense when you think about it. Like why is, does anybody do drugs? Something that's happening societally. And I think that that kind of leads into, into the next part of this. And that's, doing away with social programs for mental illness. So Ronald Reagan was responsible for repealing the Mental Health System Act, de-institutionalizing mentally ill patients at the federal level. So this left them hopeless and helpless and, most importantly, easily vilified. So we know that there's no link between mental health and violence. In fact, the National Alliance on Mental Health points out that most people with mental illness are not violent. In fact, people with mental illness are more likely to be the victims of violence. So it's like you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. You can't get help through any kind of social program. and You can't get help by medicating yourself. You're going to go to prison. And at the same time, he's privatizing prisons. So talk about a conspiracy. And that's why I said before, like, I guess conspiracy theorists don't like the types of conspiracy theories that, like, smack them right in the face. They want to go look into the ones that take a hundred variables to be true. Um, <laughs> unprovable variables. Yeah. Yeah. Don't forget. They got to be unprovable. So, and, uh, the last thing I'll say on that is, um, uh, from an article called mass incarceration nation, the truth behind Reagan's war on drugs. Uh, it's from unleashed and, uh, writer was Michaela Linder from 2018 she said that specifically the prison systems quote after the war on drugs fragmented the penal system reagan cap capitalized on the incarceration rates 
and financial constraints of many states in order to initiate the privatization of prisons. In exchange for their services, states paid these private companies a set fee for each inmate per day in prison. So it, you see how it all kind of ties into each other, you know, like there's your fucking conspiracy. I just dropped my mic. That's what that was. <laughs> Are you guys speechless? So you, you're okay, right? Are you all right? I'm okay, yeah. Sir, Jenny, do you need you assistance? Okay. okay. Can you guys hear me? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I thought I broke it. I thought I broke the mic from dropping it. Oh, no. Well, you know, and why do you think, why do you guys think having been all three of us being former conservatives, recovering conservatives, why do they hold up Ronald Reagan as this, as this gold standard? I think it has a lot to do with probably his on-screen bravado being that he was an actor before. And then the, like I said, the first thing he does his first day in office is set set the the hostages free and all of a sudden it's like oh this is a take charge like no nonsense president and he's telling me that government is bad and he wants to cut my taxes like that's all they needed to hear and then put put that alongside of his uh faith and being a godly man and doing the, the national prayer breakfast and all of that like like you, you get this picture of like that's exactly how the current conservative party looks. Yeah, I think it would be far easier to be a conservative politician to try to gain support as a conservative politician than a than a left leaning politician because that's all. I mean, you really have to do is you have to talk about cutting taxes, talk about God and faith and guns, and I think it's and it's so easy to spot that uh even trump said if he was going to run for president he'd do it as a republican yeah because they're all idiots yeah well and i used to be among those who would say you know that cliche that conservatism liberalism republican democrats they're just two sides of the same coin but i think that that's really just kind of intellectually lazy and dishonest i think that the mm -hmm. more you develop intellectually and consciously the less possible it is to remain conservative and you kind of shift to the left. And this is a good example why these reasons, you know, like his policies and the things that he enacts basically were just to reinforce and protect the status quo. It wasn't to help those in need. Actually, it, it really did. It was pretty detrimental for, for those in need. I mean, you look at the, you look at the name conservative, uh, they want to conserve the status quo, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They want to conserve what they're doing. It's if you're not progressive, you're stagnant or regressive. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, and, good things. And I don't, I don't necessarily. I've never really believed uh, in change for the sake of change or progress for the sake of progress. I don't think that that's necessarily progress. You know, like right. if, if some, I think that we should we should um we should analyze everything to see like what could be made better or what could change but like i don't think it's necessarily progress is you know if it, if it's not broke don't fix it but i think sure yeah i think that's another thing that's easy it's easy just to to 
to stay the way to keep things the way that they are rather than examine what needs to change or you know if we should go into a different direction and again that's what yeah. conservatism is about protecting that status quo and keeping things as they were i mean conservatives are so fond of comparing the country to a business when they're talking about things like budget but why don't they do that when it comes to things like movement what business do you know of could stay the same for 200 years now and still be successful yeah none and we haven't done that either we've got uh we've had amendments to our constitution we've had changes to the way we rule or to the way that we work our government shit it used to be that the fucking uh the congress held all of the power and presidential elections didn't really matter much and the fucking Supreme Court worked out of a basement, pretty much. Um, and the Congress was the big thing, right? That's where the big fight was. That's where the big scene was. Yeah. And now it's now it's not that for, for some reason. I, I just wanted to talk about the Iran-Contra thing. If you go to Wikipedia and look up Reagan administration scandals, there's a total of eight of them, but the first scandal that pops up is the Iran-Contra affair. Um, and uh, so there was stuff that I didn't even realize that came out of this. Uh, so the United States was selling weapons to the Islamic Republic of Iran. Um, it was a, a part of an unsuccessful effort to secure uh, the release of the six citizens being held hostage in Lebanon. Um, they disclosed that some of the money from the arms deal with Iran had been covertly and illegally funneled into a fund to aid the right-wing Contra's counter-revolutionary group. So they took the money from that and then funneled it into this to help the Contras overthrow the Nicaraguan, uh, the socialist Sandinista government of Nicaragua. Um, what I didn't know about this is that the United States Secretary of Defense at the time, Casper Weinberger, was pardoned before trial uh, by George H.W. Bush. So George H.W. Bush, who was Reagan's vice president, when he becomes president, he pardons Reagan's uh, Secretary of Defense when it comes to the Iran-Contra thing. So that to me, this just like jumps out to me as one of the most, like, I wasn't taught about that in school. Like, that's not discussed a lot. Like, I just don't understand um, how you have that scandal on your resume and are still considered to be a good president. I, I, I don't understand how you can do that. And it, And it's not like you have to be, very far along in your intellectual journey to be able to like understand or learn about that and so i just don't understand it literally is you were talking about the difference between progressives and conservatives and and it definitely follows a trend line of education level and you know being able to think critically and not just accept what your parents taught you or just accept what your environment and you know, your upbringing taught you about what the world is about because the world's a lot, a lot bigger than the small Alabama town that yeah. you were raised in. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I guess that's the point I was making was that these issues are way more complex than 
I think right-leaning politicians make them out to be. And thus why it's easier to be a politician that tries to appeal to a simp- more simp- simple-minded group of people. Right. And and another thing, another reason that conservatives revere Reagan so much is because of the what we were discussing with the defense spending is that he always spends more on the military and oh we're taking care of those who take care of our country like I love that whole like that's where the money's going type of thing when you know the the majority of the budget is going to weapon systems and things like that it's not going to increase you know your your typical seaman soldier airman's pay Right. What do you guys have to say about trickle down economics? I mean, it doesn't work. But of course it does. Because if you give more money, if you give more money to corporations, they're just going to give it to everybody else. And and the Panama Papers prove that, right? (laughs) What is that? Exactly. Remind me what that is. (laughs) Papers about how all of the wealthy people in the entire world have a network where they're sending their money to offshore accounts and. That's kind of like he. We were talking about it last episode, and I told yeah. you North Dakota and South Dakota have both become sanctuaries and safe havens for these people to send their money and and be able to hide it away from uh, the world, away from other governments and things like that. Yeah, yeah. They um, basically, it's like you know how everybody's always talking about like uh, you got to keep your money in an offshore account, if, you know, if you're in the mob or whatever, and that's turns out that that's no shit not just people fucking around on the uh, on the tv but there uh, there's a panel on papers and there's also uh, like the, like what's the, what's the new one that just came out i can't remember what the name of it is let me look okay. it up uh, anyway there's the panel on papers and there's a new one that just came out and pretty much it says um that uh all of the rich people in the world have been not only holding the hoarding their own wealth in their own countries and 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 dodging taxes and getting out of it like you know Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk and all those spacefaring a holes. Um, the Pandora, they, the Pandora Papers. Thank you, and Pandora P as well. Um, but they also have a lot of their money in untraceable accounts. Uh, I want to say it was actually in Panama, and that's why it's called the Panama Papers. So there's no telling how much money they've actually stolen or hidden from the world's economy. I mean, people are flipping out about, we can't go into lockdown again because it'll kill the economy. Dude, not taxing the rich mm-hmm. the correct amount is killing the economy. Right. Yeah, I mean, and talk about voting against your own interests. like, And that's something that... It's uh, you hear people defend giving tax cuts to the rich as as if it's like this. Oh, this old song and dance again. Everybody knows this, you know, economics 101, that if you give tax cuts to to the wealthy and the business owners, then it's just going to they're going to funnel it down to everybody else. It's kind of like the people who call uh, climate change cyclical. It's like, come on, guys, we all know it's cyclical. Actually, I think the guy who just won the Nobel Prize for economics disproved. Uh, he won it by disproving trickle-down economics. Yeah. Uh, if you if you get a chance, look up the Pandora Papers because it's yeah. really crazy. Yeah, it's nuts. I'm gonna post um, that. To, yeah, and and really, 
I I think you make a great point, Ricky. I the rise of that probably comes from trickle down economics. Is these yeah. people they're not they're not taking their tax savings and and passing it on or creating more factories as they say they are because they're shipping jobs overseas anyways. So yeah. why are they going to invest any more money into creating factories here in the United States? More profits take that money for the shareholders. And, and they're going to prop up their shareholders and you're going to see CEOs getting ridiculous amounts of money. And that's exactly what how it works now. And, and, and really maybe the rise of that was the trickle down economics, you know, uh, the I Reaganomics mean, of that era. I mean, we tax large corporations and uh, right now I think at a rate of like 10 to 15%, believe- something like that. Um, back in the, back at the end of World War II, when we became a superpower, uh, it was it, it was in the 20%. I'm going to say, uh, I got to look it up because we're just kind of winging this portion of the argument now. But uh, it's crazy how Republicans will, well, not really Republicans, but, but, but people who think this way will bitch about, oh, Biden's got the taxes up so, or Biden's got the, uh, uh, the deficit up so high. Uh, what can we do to fix that? Well, I mean, what we could do is we could go back in time and not have Trump give all those tax breaks to the rich. That would really help fix that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, you guys are pissed off about expanding the debt ceiling? That's all money that you guys spent last administration. You know, mm-hmm. why, why, why are you bitching about you paying the bills that you've racked up? It's like going to a restaurant and getting angry at the prices when they're on the menu. Let's Let me just do tell it. you real, real fast. Um, you got to go potty. Oh, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. You got poop? I found my resources if you're ready. Okay. Uh, one thing. Hold on with a sec. Going to the Okay, so let me read this last couple paragraphs because it's called Why Trickle-Down Economics Fails. Let's talk about what they say here, and then we'll talk about your resources, okay? Yeah, you're cool. All right. So critics believe that... So this is this section is Why Trickle-Down Economics Fail. Critics believe that the trickle-down economics policy has done damage to the U.S. economy more times than it has helped. It has, met, it has been met with disastrous, disastrous results when applied at the federal and state level. Kansas is a good point. Business taxes were cut almost a third, which left the state's income in the red. The benefits have gone to a handful of the wealthy who did not invest much of the spur of the state's economic growth. Because the state's revenues are markedly decreased, Kansas's education budget has been significantly curtailed as well. The International Monetary Fund, IMF, also rejects the trickle-down theory. In its report, authored by five economists, it argues that increasing the income share of the poor and the middle class actually increases growth, while a rising income share of the top 20% results in lower growth. That is, that when the rich get richer, the benefits do not trickle down. The IMF's fight against income inequality revolves around the fact that expenditures of the middle to low income sectors are often the drivers of the economy. Even a mere 1% increase in wealth for 20% of low-income earners yields a 0.38% growth in domestic product. On the other hand, increasing the income of the top 20% high-income earners 
results in a 0.08 decrease in GDP. All you really got to do is think about it too. I mean, if you're on the bottom, you know, of a, a, a on oh, the bottom yeah, of the scale bottom. of the earners, all of your money, all of it goes to into the gets funneled right back into the economy. You're paying rent, you're buying food, you're buying clothes, whatever you got to buy, you know, you, whatever you're doing, you're, you're spending all of your money. That's why when you first start out, it's called living paycheck to paycheck because you spend all your money every paycheck. Uh, and then when you start to amass wealth, you stop having to live that way. Right. Yeah. And then when you get to Jeff Bezos dragon status, um, you're just sitting on that hoard of wealth. You don't have to worry about it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm reminded of uh, when uh, Bill Gates was on TV when he was the richest man in the world. They were interviewing him. I think it was like 60 minutes or something. And he says, hold on, I'm going to save up for a Lamborghini. And he looks at his watch. Hmm. Okay, done. You know? Yeah. When, I don't understand why you can't just see the logic there. Right, yeah. You know? I think the, and I, I think I might have said something along these lines before, but I think about to all the time, like why, you know, these, these people have money that they will never spend anything that they could ever want. They've already, oh, they've already purchased and it's never going to be a problem for them to purchase anything else in the future. So why wouldn't they clothe everybody, feed everybody on earth? You know, they could be a very, you know, significant person in history that ends world mm-hmm. hunger and maybe even brings world peace just because of their wealth. But I guess the way that I've thought about it is when you get to that status, I almost feel like you might feel like you transcend everybody else. And the only people that you can really relate to are other people in your status, your your income status. So it's like... I mean, I'm sure there's an element of truth to that too, right? Yeah, it's like if I were in high school... It's like, I don't give a fuck what elementary school kids think of me because I just, you know, I, I know that I'm better than they are. I know that I'm way beyond them and I, I just want to impress my high school friends, you know, so fuck everybody yeah. else. You don't hang out and do all that kid shit anymore. Yeah, it's beneath me. That he was a piece of shit. Reaganomics is bad. Well, but his policies are... <laughs> his policies were bad and he should feel bad, damn it. He's, yeah... Well, I guess what I'm what I'm trying to say is like his Paul and like I said this in the beginning, like his policies were effective in the short term, but in the long term, like we've seen all these all these problems that he just kind of he side or, you know, he kind of just put on the back burner. They've eventually all come up. And the I guess the most ironic thing about that is you hear your you see conservatives snub their nose at homeless people. And oh, why don't they just get a job? And, but for all the reasons that we just cited, are why they're there. So it's like they would rather just be out of sight, out of sight, out of mind, and not have to look at it, not have to deal with it. But these people are largely on the streets well, because they're they're not getting the you know they're they're ill, they're sick, and they're not getting the treatment that they need because of Reagan doing away with with, the, with those programs, stigmatization of drug use too. I was just going to say another thing that plays into that and something Ricky said is you live paycheck to paycheck until you amass wealth. 
And that is as long as you are given the opportunity to do that. And yeah. a lot of people in our society aren't given the opportunity to amass wealth. Like living paycheck to paycheck is just life for them. There's yeah. no, I'm going to buy a house and then be able to sell it and have equity and do all of that because that's not the dream for every American. And as much as anybody wants to say, well, you can rise above anything and you can do all of that. There are people that can't rise above that. There are people in different communities that will never have that opportunity. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, in, you know, and like I've said before, it looks really good in a fucking Hallmark card to say things like, oh, every all you need to do is believe and you'll achieve and you can do anything you put your mind to. But the fact is, a lot of people are born at the almost to the finish line. Some people are born behind the starting line. You know, not everybody is born with the same set of circumstances laid before them. So, yeah. All right. Yeah. Anything else, guys? No, none for me, thanks. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. I'm looking forward to uh, I'm looking forward to our conversation this next week with Roberta Blevins, the uh anti multi level marketing activist who is on Lula Rich and also a vice document documentary about multi level marketing a couple years ago. So stay tuned you know, for that, that. That's good. What's that? I also don't like mother in law marketing. Mother in law marketing? Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to use think, that on her. You think that's going to work out? Yeah, go for it. Okay, we'll see what okay. happens. We'll see how it goes. Anyway, uh, make sure you're staying up to date with everything we've got going on. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Subscribe to us on iTunes and Spotify and even YouTube. And be sure to check out punk-journalism.com. <laughs>